0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Speak of the Devil with me, Josh Deville. Before I go any further, I want to say thank you to my associate producer, Landon Deville. That's my brother. He gets that credit for being the highest tier patron over on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash Josh Tavillier. And you can get exclusive content and other rewards starting at as little as $1 a month. So if that's something you might be interested in, consider supporting me over on Patreon. My guest today prides herself on being a world-class storyteller. She's also a graduate of Princeton University in 2017, where she served as a writing consultant for three years. She also interned at Google, dealing with marketing solutions and customer experience. She also went on to become the first creative director of Asian Boss, which, if you don't know, has 3 million subscribers on YouTube. It's a a media outlet based in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, She's been awarded multiple scholarships and grants, over the years and actually created and taught a course at the American Center Korea. So she's a jack of all trades and I was super excited to have her on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Monique Claiborne. Well, first of all, thank you for coming on. It's been like kind of a, a struggle getting you on with just a bunch of scheduling conflicts and stuff like that. And then I started working recently again. So uh, yeah, but I'm excited cause you seem like you've been up to a lot
1: yeah. since high school.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and I, sure. I don't think people realize how far you and I go back. Like, I think it's like pre-K. Yeah,
1: right? it, definitely pre-K for sure.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy to me. But um, so I guess let's start after high school. Okay, you attended Princeton, right? Yes. Did you graduate from Princeton?
1: I did, class of 2017.
0: Okay, so, you know, obviously if you're thinking about like the the top universities in the country – and compiling a list, Princeton is going to be on that list. So I guess my first question is like, was there any anxiety from you attending a school like that with such a high with such high prestige? Right? Was there any pressure that you put on yourself?
1: Yeah. Oh man, good question. And this is something people ask me often, and I, I feel like every time I answer it, I learn something new about my experience. Um, So I'd say going into Princeton, I don't feel that I carried anxiety with me. And I think that's because I just literally had no idea what to expect. Like I hadn't spent much time with the East Coast at all. I didn't do a campus visit before I applied. And my campus visit after I was accepted was just very positive. So I was like, people are cool. Everybody was welcoming. The campus is beautiful. I think it'll be fun. Um, So my, my first months there, I think... The uh, I guess the anxiety creeped in a little bit because then I was meeting these people who went to these like really elite boarding schools who were like gunning to go to Princeton for like most of their life and people who had like siblings or like family who attended and they're like, oh, like you have to join these clubs and we have to do this. We have to meet this professor. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just trying to like see what's happening. Um So I think in some ways, because I went to Princeton with, with I didn't I didn't go attached to specific expectations like oh I have to do x y and z because that's what people do when they go there I was just like I'm just going to be a sponge and absorb everything this place has to offer and then kind of like figure it out along the way um and I and I think that because just I didn't go in with a lot of those expectations um because I was so just like unfamiliar with what to expect I think that actually spared me a lot of imposter syndrome that totally like like most people definitely experience and it it I definitely had it at times um, but I think just it was helpful to have just like this totally kind of different context you know coming from Appaloosas and whatnot um, where I feel like I was able to kind of like spare myself from being like too attached to um, what it I I had a different context right to compare it to so I think that was helpful Uh,
0: yeah yeah. I I know what you mean in that regard like joining the Navy kind of had the same effect for me totally. just getting away from, you know, my hometown and stuff like that. And just seeing like boot camp was crazy for me because I met people from like Ghana. I met people from New York and all over yeah. the United States and just different parts totally. of the world. Like it just kind of rounds out your perspective, I think. Absolutely. So, yeah, I understand in that regard. I was reading your, uh, your website and you said that, uh, Sorry, is it philosophy? It's philosophy you said that caught your eye. Philosophy,
1: yeah, totally. yeah.
0: So was that was that your, did you major in philosophy?
1: I did major in philosophy, yeah.
0: Was that your first choice or did, was that a switch you made somewhere down the line?
1: Yeah, so uh, I like to say philosophy chose me. It just made sense once I yeah. became exposed to it. Um, so it's the way like Princeton works. You don't actually have to officially declare a major until the end of your sophomore year. So you're only actually concentrating junior and um, senior year. Um, so I didn't have to like literally change my major because I knew, um, by summer before my junior year that I would be majoring in philosophy. But when I went to Princeton, like, uh, I went initially thinking I do like politics or public policy. Um, the school of public and international affairs at Princeton is like really prestigious. And that's actually what I like, uh, checked on my application, which is non binding. Um, but yeah, then sophomore year, it just, yeah, just that, uh, like I said before, like absorbing everything, and just kind of realizing like what works and what I want to hang on to. I just, I realized very quickly I wasn't actually passionate about politics or like law or like policy the way I thought I was uh, growing up. And philosophy just like made sense.
0: Yeah. Was it was it like just the desire to understand things on like a deeper level that kind of drew you in?
1: Yeah, totally. I, I think for me like philosophy, it's it's the yeah. it's a des- exactly, it's a desire to. De- the desire to understand things on a deeper level and I think to just I I like to zoom out from a really high level and kind of like see the patterns see the trends and try to identify like what's what's the core what's the first principle here what's like the truth that's like present here and develop a framework from that so I think it was the way of thinking it was the critical thinking skills and logic Um, and I think that's definitely helped me with just writing and explaining things and just being super clear and i i liked that for me it was also that you can study the philosophy of anything so like i consider myself to be somebody who has like many interests i never really liked the idea of having to like oh i have to only like study one thing or i have to only do one thing for like years um but you know there's i've taken philosophy of art classes philosophy of history philosophy of science like um ancient philosophy contemporary stuff and and i just like the breadth of the discipline and i like that um just, uh, you get these, like, in my opinion, these transferable, just like thinking tools that can help you in anything really, um, throughout your life.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you remember, uh, senior graduation, Annie Panagiotis's dad was the speaker and I, yeah. he said, question everything. And that really like <laughs> stuck with me still today. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so applicable. Like, if you don't understand <clears throat> what you believe in, I, I don't think you should believe it, you know, I, I, until you yeah. understand it. You know? Totally. Um, so you uh, you served on the – I'm going to look at my, my notes. It's like yeah, a writing – yeah, writing um, – what's the, the actual, like, name for it that you did? The, you writing, the writing Center? Yeah.
1: Writing, writing center.
0: center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what was that experience like, and how did you get that opportunity?
1: Sure, yeah. The Writing Center was dope. Um, so I knew that I wanted to apply to be a Writing Center Fellow. Uh, so, the, so the Writing Center – uh it's it's part of the writing program at Princeton so like the writing program you have a writing seminar that you're you're required to take freshman year which the core focus of the class is to really learn how to do like college level academic writing and kind of like the main switch that happens from high school is that you become the scholars and you're challenged to like engage with scholars researchers on almost like you're you're on their level even though you're still in college and to really just um yeah just be critical um in your analysis and then be bold enough to say like this famous historian says this however i find that when you look at this you see this and that's like so uncomfortable for like high school students to switch into like what are you talking about like this dude has like a phd like i'm not going to say that but that's like what you're encouraged to do um throughout the process so writing program has the writing seminar class that you take then we also have the writing Center. So the Writing Center is a resource for all Princeton undergraduates, um, any level and graduate students, actually. And essentially, you schedule a one on one hour long session to just like workshop an assignment you have. They also do we also do like personal statements, any kind of written work. It can be like a letter of recommendation request. And I, I mean, I've seen that that was super exciting because You just, you schedule for a time slot. You don't necessarily select who you want to work with. So I might have somebody come in from the electrical engineering department with like a lab report that they have to put together. Or I might get someone who's doing um, like a a literature review for like sociology or I've gotten dissertations or even just like short, short writing assignments. So it's like across disciplines. And to go back to what I was saying about philosophy, even this idea of like first principles and zooming out, I think the writing center is definitely an exercise in that because there is a way to like write well. Um, And regardless of whether it's a lab report for a STEM discipline or like something else. And it was really cool to just kind of be able to realize like I can actually like give meaningful feedback to these people who know more than I do in their discipline for sure. Um, And part of it was we did like brainstorming sessions. My favorite personally, students might come in and say, oh yeah, I have uh, this prompt. I don't really understand it. I don't know what they're talking about. Here are the sources that I read and I have no idea what to do. I'm like, yes, awesome. Like let's, you know, just like ask the right questions. That was also something from philosophy is just the right questions to ask. And then that student might leave with a thesis and an outline that they're super excited about. Or I might get somebody who has a final draft and is like, can you just like look over it? And like, that was cool too. Uh, so that's what the writing center was. Right. And then to answer your question about how I got the opportunity. It's, um, it's, I mean, it's probably the most competitive like on campus job. Um, and it also like pays, pays well, comparatively to like other positions. Um, yeah, uh, what did I do when I applied? You can apply at the end of your freshman year. Submit a writing sample. I believe I I had to submit a recommendation from um, a pres- professor or preceptor and just like, answer some questions and then interview and then we simulated a writing center conference and then they they whittled it down from there. Yep.
0: Gotcha. Um, yeah, and I, I think like a lot of people downplay how important it is to write well, speak well, especially if you're trying to come off as intelligent. Like, Totally. I feel like I run into a lot of people who are very, very smart people, but they don't represent themselves as well as they could.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's not kind of stressed to them how much or how important like grammar and, and speaking well is uh, to convey your For point. sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of these questions that I have for you, by the way, are going to be like, how like what was this experience like because you've you've been up to a lot of things yeah. that i don't think a lot of people have so like you you interned at google right did helping you. with like marketing and things like that yep um did you what what made you choose to intern at google like was that like a stepping stone for you to a a larger <laughs> job like maybe a, when maybe your job at asian boss
1: yeah, sure. It was definitely, it was definitely a stepping stone. I wouldn't necessarily say it was a stepping stone. So at the time when I applied, I knew I wanted to do it. It wasn't with a particular like job or career in mind, but I had gotten really clear on the things that are interesting to me, um, the summer before. Um, and I, I guess I view Google as like a chance to explore that and then hopefully get clearing you know, on what that meant for me. What's next, super abstract, but, uh, and, and all these, all these things totally build on each other. So I, okay, so I'm going to go back a little bit. Summer, so summer before my junior year. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, would have been the summer that I would have started applying for the Google internship, which is for senior year. I, I was in Germany. That was my first time out of the States. I went to Berlin and I took this philosophy course um, and we it was basically an intense review of Plato's Republic. And Berlin was kind of just this like cool case study to kind of like see like oh like what actually happens whenever you take this political theory to its logical end and then like it it, it, was, it was it was literally like a life changing summer for me. Um, so that was also when I was like yeah totally majoring in philosophy. This rocks. And part of what I liked is one by the idea of the philosophy of everything like and that's that class in that one book alone we talked about aesthetics, uh, political theory, philosophy of education. Um, you know, the, the virtuous life and, and all, all of these things. And I, I mean, I had never thought about the philosophy of beauty, right? Like about aesthetics, it was like, oh, that's cool. Like that's actually, I can think critically about that. Fascinating. And then ethics, right? And like, it was always really, um, I, I've always considered myself to be a creative person. So realizing I could like actually think critically about art. And then also the relationship between like art and like ethics and like how does creativity inform what is good for people? What is useful for people? Like, those are kind of just some like high level questions that I thought were really cool that summer. So then I also know that I can, I mean, I can like stay really like cerebral, like all the time. So I was really challenging myself. Like, what does this look like tangibly and practically? Um, And I just thought about like um, technology, these big tech companies, how they rely so much on like their design and presentation and the brand ethos and creating these emotional connections through like beautifully designed products and experiences. And I was like, I feel like that's a super practical way to kind of explore these things that I think are kind of cool. Um, Cause we're not talking about, you know, back in Plato's time, the art was uh, these uh, like these, these public plays, right. And paintings and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, art is infused into like design and these things that we experience daily. Um, and obviously it would have been a really good, right. just um, it would it was guaranteed to be a great experience. So that's what inspired me to apply uh, to apply to this Google program it's uh it's the only internship program that is non like non-tech so and it was also one of those things where literally like I just I just uploaded my resume uh and months later somebody got back to me like oh hi we'd like to interview you so you can indicate I don't think they even let I'm not sure if they even let you indicate but you could have ended up on the legal team um the marketing team the sales team the customer experience like uh, you didn't really know you weren't really applying for a position to kind of looked at your resume, then like put you somewhere. Um, one of those things. So okay. that, that, that was my, that was my motivation for applying for it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, another thing that you did right after, after that, um, you oversaw or well, you, you became the first creative director at Asian boss in yeah. Seoul, South Korea, uh, which seems crazy considering you're like a philosophy right. major, right? <laughs> Yep. So, what was that? What was that challenge like? And did you study any aspect of of being a creative director while you were at Princeton, sure. or was that all totally new to you?
1: Yeah. So I so it, it, I did study. Uh, I took a few film classes. Um, my junior and senior year, I did a screenwriting class. One was like film analysis. One was more so um, actually like filmmaking. Did like a short documentary and stuff like that. So I think that these these are some of the things film and like creative direction were were two of the other options that kind of like presented themselves to me after I realized that I really enjoyed this intersection of like art and ethics and aesthetics and um creating experiences that actually like communicate something that matters like um part of that was maybe it's like user experience design with like technology part of it was like maybe it's filmmaking maybe it's this so my junior and senior year my I mean my courses changed a lot where it's like it was philosophy then all of these kind of like artistically inclined things so I did have some experience in that and then outside the classroom something that, that was also I think very relevant was I joined a, a dance group in Princeton so it was a we did hip hop and contemporary dance and I also started choreographing so um choreography in that sense was also very relevant to like what you would do like directing something on a set so um yeah so when I was at Asian Wallace that was my year right after Princeton and the way I went is that I, I had never been to Asia, um, but I, Korea, again, kind of thinking back to dance, Korea had become very interesting to me because I became familiar with just this, like, thriving, like, this upcoming, like, hip-hop scene in East Asia, and part of that was these dance studios and these, like, underground artists that I became familiar with when I was choreographing and looking for inspiration, so I was like, oh, that seems kind of cool, so then I just kind of went down this rabbit hole of, like, discovering this, like, the scene out there, and um, which is also partially how I discovered Asian Boss. So I applied for something called the Henry Luce Scholars Program, which basically it's a foundation that funds a year of like personal, professional experience in Asia. So when I went to South Korea on that fellowship, I actually didn't know where I was gonna be. So normally for the fellowship, they help you identify a like company that suits you really well for you to work with for a year. But the company that, they had initially started talking to for me just kind of like went rogue and like we to this day I don't know what happened with that so I had actually flown to South Korea not knowing where I was going to work but since I was on the ground I was like I'm just going to email people send out my resume and I had been watching Asian Bosses content so I contacted them sent my resume had an interview they were like cool we like you we just got funding and we really need somebody to just like oversee video production while we're trying to like get funding and uh do all these other more like business development type things. So that's how the experience happened. Um you what was it? What was and it? Like? I I didn't yeah. know this before I was <laughs> yeah, sure. sort of
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't know this before like doing some of the preliminary research for this, but Asian Boss is huge. Yeah. Uh, I I hadn't heard of it before, but like they have like 3 million subscribers on YouTube. Um yeah, so that kind of blew my mind. But uh <laughs> I mean that must have been terrifying going to South Korea, not not knowing where you're going to work, did you have a place to <laughs> live at that point?
1: I did. I did. Oh, oh, okay. Yes and no. So because I didn't know where I was going to work and like the way the, the program is supposed to be very structured, it's just, I had this like strange experience. Um, I didn't want to commit to like a, a housing contract and not knowing what part of the city I would be in. So I was just at an Airbnb for like two months. So like I had somewhere to stay. Um, and there was part of me that was kind of like, well, since I don't know where I'm going to be working, I can definitely just um, do my best to just explore, right? Explore the city and like uh, take some dance classes, right? Things like that. So I, I try to, I think, frame it as like an opportunity to like learn. And I think that's something I try to just do in general. Like when I, when I place into these new spaces, I feel like that's that, like that is the consistent thing in my life is like I, every now and then I'm dressed. into just like new environment. Um, So I try to just like keep like a, a a a growth mindset with all of those things um but yeah Asian Boss Asian Boss was it was also very it was very stressful (laughs) I think part of it was I I think a lot of things made it a stressful experience well one like it it was a recently funded startup and it was really just the two founders who I think a lot of companies have origin stories like this they just started the channel as a passion project and it it grew so fast and it had so much traction they were like we can actually do this full time but the the, the the their intention was never to build like a media company empire initially right um but then it kind of evolved to that so it was a lot of right putting out quick fires like delivering content like right away but also having to strategically do do the long term kind of like plans as well and then i was also part of scaling up the team because i i was really they had been working with like short term contractors before but i was really the first person who was there for a full year like consistently like day in and day out like building with them so i was also very much a guinea pig in the sense where like they didn't also have experience like managing other people and working with other people It had just been the two of them. So, I mean, I feel like I learned a lot um, in the media space and then also just in the startup ecosystem and like how fast paced that always is. And just in terms of um, working with people and then people across cultures too, because part of it was also managing teams in India and Japan and China and it, it, juggling a lot a lot of moving pieces. I definitely grew like a ton, a ton from that experience.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. In your blog, it's a, you assisted with um, like, was it the starting up or uh, of new studios in Shanghai and Hong Kong? Or w- what's the actual term for? Yeah. It's like satellite something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Satellite offices um, is what we refer to them at the time. Anyways, um, they, they might have their own physical office they, they might have more structured office buildings at this time, but it was really just like these distributed remote teams. So it was just kind of coordinating the video guy, the report person, the person who did the editing in Shanghai, getting them together and be able to convene and like work on the content, build up a schedule with them. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that was the early experience with that. And the, the team in Japan actually was a bit more robust and they, I believe had a space to actually work from, um, and there were more consistent reporters who had been with Asian boss for a long ter- time that was there, but the team in Shanghai, the team in India, it was always, uh, there, there were always a lot of moving pieces with coordinating people for shoots for sure.
0: Right. Uh, it, well, that's not the only thing you did when you were in South Korea. You also had Moe's Creel, right? Yeah. So that, that's like a festival pop-up, right? So like, Pretty much, yeah. you know, one, it said like one week in a month ish.
1: It was, yeah it was once a month
0: um so okay how well first of all how was the uh, creole cuisine received over in that part of the world it was received
1: super well um like honestly and this was something that i would tell people whenever i came back to the states and they would ask about like just like culture shock and things like that i was like honestly there's a lot about the korean diet that i feel like mirrors the things that we eat in like south louisiana like it's a lot of spicy food, a lot of spices, a lot of red sauces, a lot of meat, um, a lot of rice. Um, so it, it was – yeah, people people loved it. It was a hit for sure.
0: Yeah, so they just caught on right away. Yeah, they caught they on. They jumped right sure. on board. So what was your – if you had to make someone one Creole dish, what would it be?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. I'd say like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shrimp creole person, so I think I like shrimp creole because it also tops really well in like fish. So I'd probably do like a fried catfish and then a shrimp creole topping mm. over rice. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh yeah, I can get down with that for sure. Uh, so, so what are you up to these days? What What are you working towards in 2021?
1: Yes, excellent, excellent <laughs> questions yeah so I am fully independent brand consultant and college conscious college experience coach, and I've actually only recently um, kind of gotten really clear on what I call myself. so, Ultimately, I help people and companies get crystal clear on their story and how to package it in a compelling way that results in either admission and a meaningful experience to their dream university, or more sales and customer loyalty on the college, on the branding side. So I use the same skill set for both, even though they're they're really two different business models and ultimately going to each operate independently as separate businesses. So 2021 is just like getting uh, a consistent high ticket client base on both of those spheres. So the the college side and this is one thing that I actually did remotely while I was in Korea that helped in a way kind of like fund my experience there the last couple of years when I was just freelancing. Um, But I work with high school juniors and basically, basically use like design principles to help them think strategically about how to essentially set goals and then like reverse engineer them. Because I feel like in high school and just the school system in general, we're kind of like given assignments, given things to do, told we should try to go to college, but they're, students aren't really encouraged or empowered to be intentional and to realize that they can actually design what they want to do um, from scratch so that's so that's what i do um it's really more of a coaching and helping people get connected like understand they can like create internship experiences they can create research experiences how do you reach out to people how do you build meaningful relationships with um community members how do you leave an impact in your space that's actually meaningful and consistent with something that you care about. And then how can you use that as momentum to not just get into a selective school? Because I also help them, help them the actual application process and reviewing all the materials to make sure that their, their story is cohesive because ultimately it's branding as well. Like what you said earlier about people can be extremely smart, extremely motivated, but not really know how to articulate that in a way that's compelling. Really, it's just like personal branding kind of strategy in some ways. Um, and yeah, all the way through the, the college application and then admission process. So then on the, on the branding side, I'm, oh yeah, they can go, you can go ahead and ask.
0: Well, no, just, just go ahead. I was going to ask, like, um, especially with 2021, I'm assuming the pandemic, I'm assuming you do this all remotely, Yeah, but do you have, uh, plans for like to develop an office space or like a headquarters or anything like that?
1: Yeah. I'd say I don't have near future plans for that but definitely at some point point. and part of that's just because like I'm not sure where I would want to be based yet is like uh, I have enjoyed the flexibility of because even like my last two years in korea once i wasn't at asian boss anymore I, I was pretty much location independent and i really enjoyed that even though i was mostly in seoul you know but i, I liked knowing that i could go to vietnam for like a couple of weeks and just like be able to work for my computer there so i think i'm still in the process of figuring out where i would want to be based and that's kind of one of the reasons i don't have a headquarters um but i mean a, a near-term goal would just be to start building up a team because like right now i'm doing the 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 client recruitment, the business strategy, and the actual coaching. And I'd love to get somebody who can kind of just take over the like recruitment side and then some more of the like administrative stuff. So then once my team is like robust enough, then yeah, I totally would love to, to have a physical space.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Um, did you did you finish saying what you were saying before I interrupted oh, you? Oh sure,
1: oh yeah, no worries. Um, so on on the, the business side, working with like um, entrepreneurs and small business clients, I'm a storytelling strategist and a brand experience architect. So what that pretty much means is there's this, there's this in-between space that a lot of businesses skip where they know what their product is, or they know what their service is, and then they jump straight to, okay, well, I need a website, obviously, I need social media content, I need, you know, sales scripts, I need all these like different things, but they're not clear on like what the story is that they're actually inviting people into. Because ultimately the way we make purchases and you build brand loyalty is that people have to identify with the story that you're telling and they have to experience that story through the different interactions they have with your business. So that's getting through our sessions, clients get uh, a package it has vision, mission, purpose, uh, brand values, pillars, headlines, taglines, like brand voice, brand ethos, just getting super, super clear on what all of that is. And then that is then used for the actual like social media person to be able to say like, oh, I actually know exactly what kind of content makes sense for us to like roll out and take over that. And then also when it comes to the customer experience, um, the customer journey, I'll put it that way. So most of the people I've been working with have products, they have physical products. So thinking critically about like packaging, how can we package it in a way that makes people want to like take photos and upload it to Instagram. So that takes them from the offline to the online. And then how do we connect them to other people who also have purchased this so that they can, you know, create a sense of community around this. So it's really, it's really just business strategy in a lot of ways too. Um, because for example, I can't get clear on like what you, on the copy right for your website until I know what the overarching story is and I can't know what that story is until I know who your ideal client is so I need to know who I'm talking to before I know like what your content or your social your social media copy can look like um so ultimately people end with uh they leave with customer avatars they leave with a blueprint of the client journey um this story deck that holds all of those different points that I I shared with you and just clarity clarity and creativity on how to stand out in their space
0: yeah, I think that's especially important for people starting out. Uh, it's like especially content creators, whether it be like a podcast totally. or or YouTube or whatever it is, uh, to be clear with the content that they're making. Because I, I think a lot of people look at famous content creators or or big businesses that kind of can do whatever they want because they already have an audience base. Exactly. Right? So the audience trusts them, and they yeah. like them. Whatever they put out, the audience is probably going to like.
1: For sure. For but sure. people make
0: that mistake early on and they kind of fail to, to garner an audience. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that you guide people. I guess guide is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. yeah through like the startup of their business venture. That's totally. pretty cool. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my, the point that the point for me with this podcast is to interview and talk to people who have done uh, interesting things or creative things and i mean i feel like you hit the nail on the head when it comes to that description oh, and uh, and thank you for coming on i think yeah, you totally. know if anyone knew you in high school or middle school or whatever uh, they would they would tell you that you were destined to do big things and i think you've lived up to lived up to that so i really <laughs> appreciate it. The chat. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, totally. No, I appreciate you reaching out to me. This has been, it's been really nice, like, just to reconnect with you and a few other people I've seen since I've been spending more time around Opelousis for the first time in, in a long time. So,
0: yeah. It hasn't it's changed too much. was like, a <laughs> couple more coffee shops. At, yeah, there's,
1: like, two now. <laughs> um, big deal for sure.
0: Yeah, neither one has a drive through so, you know. Right. That's the biggest right. thing. That's the biggest thing about living in in Washington that I noticed, like, drive through coffee shops. I got home and I was like, dad, if you start one in Opelousas, you're going to make a killing. But yeah. he didn't believe me. you know.
1: Oh, absolutely. Totally.
0: But yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. So thank you again. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you sometime in the future.
1: Sure. Yeah, Josh. Totally. Let's uh, definitely be in touch. Thanks for having me on.